Listen up, it's the Speakeasy with Annie Madden and Carla Trelawney. Conversations in the margins. A comfortable space for uncomfortable topics. So Annie, we're still by the pool. We are. At this conference, which is very luxurious. Luxuriating by the pool this afternoon. And we're joined in under our cabana today <laughs> by Mark Tindall. Welcome, Mark. Uh, thank you very much. And Mark's the executive director for the British Columbia Centre for Disease Control. And we spoke to you a year ago at Insu. Well, it called it was it called itself New York, but it was really New, New Jersey. Jersey. <laughs> 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 Everyone's Every, everyone's got their spin. And um, you did a plenary last year that was that sort of took the roof off the house. It was fantastic, and um, we spoke about it last time about you know the importance of looking beyond. Um, hepatitis C, which is the subject of this conference, and really looking at the whole gamut of things that impact people's lives, and um, and it was just such a remarkable um, moment, I think, in the uh, evolution of INSU's maturity. Thank you. <laughs> so we wanted to, to catch up and um, find out, you know, what's happened, or changed or not changed in the year since. We, we keep hearing terrible stories yeah. out of Canada mm. in terms of sure. opioid mm. um, overdose deaths. So we wanted to hear mm. what's going yeah. on. Yeah. yeah, well, thank you. It's, uh, it's nice to chat again. The, um, w- the message I had uh, last year is now a hundred times more believable now yeah, what's right. happened. I mean, nobody would have, uh, certainly when I uh, took this job, uh, uh, nobody would have ever predicted we'd be in a massive overdose crisis. And nobody would ever thought now we're basically into year four of it, and it's getting worse, not better. The yeah. chance of dying of an overdose in uh, Vancouver uh, today is a, is probably higher than it was three years ago, despite doing quite a lot, yeah. I, we think, yeah. uh, standard sort of harm reduction things. Um, yeah. But the numbers just keep on coming. And so this year we're on track to uh, lose 1,800 people to overdose deaths in the province of British Columbia. And the problem, which really started on the West Coast, has moved across Canada. So the per capita death rate in Ontario, which is the biggest province in Canada, is... uh, probably will surpass BC uh, in the next year. So, uh, and it's totally due to fentanyl. So the whole, um, the whole opiate market has basically been replaced, um, by fentanyl and it's very difficult to get heroin anymore Mm. in Canada. So, uh, some, something bigger than us did this. Yeah. Could you kind of maybe just reflect a little bit on how that situation has come to pass in Canada? Just briefly for people listening in case they don't understand how that's happened. Well, I think it's uh, basically a textbook of prohibition. So, um, Oh, that's a surprise. Yeah. Yeah. So (laughs) like any prohibition, uh, products get more concentrated and more potent and uh, cheaper and more accessible. And uh, that's exactly what's happened. And um, it's different in different parts of the, in Canada. In in BC, we had a pretty stable heroin supply for decades. And, uh, as you went east across Canada, um, heroin became less and less available, more and more expensive, and a lot of it, uh, the market was dis, um, it diverted uh, pharmaceutical yeah. opiates. Mm-hmm. And so um, the message loud and clear now is that uh, the medical system and doctors caused this problem, which is 
totally inaccurate, but that's yeah. the narrative that's right. emerged. Is, and yeah. so that's probably to, why I asked the question. Yeah, so let's cut back on all that. Yeah. So guidelines have been coming out and we have prescription monitoring programs yes. and things that, you know, try this to get people off drugs. Well. Yeah. yeah, and basically that's a recipe for uh, killing people. <laughs> so now you have to go to uh, an illegal market that's uh, very unstable and uh, very toxic. And so we've thrown many people who had a stable supply of either heroin or um, uh, diverted pharmaceutical drugs into a, just a, a very toxic market. And so uh, people are, have no access to these drugs anymore, or very limited, or they're very expensive, and uh, but fentanyl is, is cheap and widely available. And when it first started in 2013, 14, when a little bit of fentanyl was showing up in the heroin supply, yes. people, I don't think, took it that seriously. Yes. There was some deaths of people who were surprised by the potency of what they just bought. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, three, two or three years into this, um, everybody buying the substance knows that this white powder or purplish mm. powder they're buying is fentanyl. There's yeah. no heroin in it. And so uh, people are used to u- buying yeah. it. Um, and every time they, they use, they're taking a chance. They're playing Russian roulette. Exactly. They don't really know where it's come from. And so probably, we, you know, we could speculate all day and make up reasons why this actually happened yeah. but but certainly prohibition describes the whole process yeah. <laughs> and so yeah. uh, it's all under the prohibition and we push people to uh, be in a very toxic drug market and that's you know the the fact that a year later it's only got worse and mm-hmm. you know with following things on Twitter for example we've seen 27 um, in safe injecting sites pop up, pop mm. up in some areas. Mm. That's not enough. It's not plugging the gaps or the cracks of this terrible well, situation. I, I think in, in uh, Vancouver especially, um, um, we were well set up to um, you know, promote standard harm reduction programs. So um, we have quite a, a wide um, and comprehensive naloxone program. Everybody's walking around the street with a little black pouch. And right. so there's, uh, we've given out uh, over 100,000 of these kits and about 20,000 have been used to reverse overdoses. So it's a massive number of people have been reversed. Yeah. In the supervised injection sites alone, it's estimated that there's been 5,000 reversals. Yeah. Mm. We went from InSight, which uh, was open in 2003. We've been struggling to get anything more open for decades. Mm. And then um, in um, the end of 2016, 17 um, we started opening them wide all over the place and I think yeah the last count is 25 26 of these mm. places are open it's amazing what can be done when yeah. uh, they need to do huh? uh, communities yeah. that there's just no way they were open to this uh, when the government said that this is now part of our um, strategy yeah. um, they had to open them. Many were really community grassroots based right. groups. Mm-hmm. They started out as tents and kind mm-hmm. of, we sure. call them pop yeah. up all yeah. overdose prevention sure. sites. Yeah. But I would think every community now has one t- strongly supports them. So yeah, the yeah. community has come around. Of course, you have to do something yeah. like that. So yeah. uh, that, but um, you could put one of these on every corner 
of every street in the province, and we probably would reduce overdotes by 20%. So the people, you know, we have a criminalized situation where we've trained people for decades to use quietly and in isolation. And all of a sudden we're telling them don't use in isolation anymore without changing the criminality of their activity. So that's a message that will never work. You want to, and many people first, stigma and many reasons if they could be regular users have no intention of going to a supervised injection site with yeah. people and injecting in groups that's just not what they do exactly. and how they use drugs it doesn't understand the whole dyna- social yeah. dynamics of drug yeah. use or yeah you can't switch that on a dime exactly. and all of yeah. a sudden oh yeah come out because it's still illegal so it, right. it's still you have to go you identifying yourself when you walk down that block and in that yeah. door I'm Anyone an injection drug user. Yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. not it's not open. And uh, <sighs> despite the thousands of people that are using these, um, the other thing that people have uh, we really pushed is trying to get a better uh, treatment system going. But the the truth is, in at, at least in central Vancouver or the downtown east side, you could get on methadone same day for a decade. I mean, there was yeah, no, right. it, this idea that there was no capacity to yeah. treat people with substitution therapy is false. Yeah. Certainly across Canada and pockets outside of Vancouver, there's certainly, we need to make sure that that access is readily available to people. And we, mm. we've done, you know, in BC, we've built that up quite a bit. Mm. And there's a lot more people on substitution therapy. Mm. Um, and that's yeah. methadone and buprenorphine and, naloxone. And naloxone. Okay. Yeah, we've, that's what's uh, available. In, in yeah, the, um, there's been a real uh, push to make the buprenorphine formulation first line now. Okay. Um, hasn't gone as well as I think people thought it would. Right. Um, methadone, the retention on methadone is still much better than uh, suboxone right now. Um, and for various reasons, right. I think. But... Um, We've still, the one of the beauty of using the buprenorphine formulation is it should be much safer and easier to get it out there, mm-hmm. but we've, we've uh, created systems that are much in line with methadone. So much of the suboxone is still mm-hmm. daily observed therapy at a pharmacist, yeah. which is a huge barrier to people. Mm-hmm. And it's taken so, a long time to change that in Australia as well. People come yeah. in with the methadone headset, you know, clinicians, and yeah. as if they're dealing with the same sort of drug, and it's quite different. It's you really should different. buy it over the counter. I mean, it's, it's just a safe mm-hmm. drug. If people yeah. want to use it, we need mm-hmm. to really break down the barriers, yeah. but we haven't really modified our yeah. approach to it. Um, like we need to, so mm-hmm. it hasn't been as popular. Mm-hmm. And the and the narrative is with this. Uh, well, it ties into our narrative about a chronic relapsing disease, mm-hmm. which is horribly problematic because mm-hmm. it, then it says to the public and to even clinicians, then people need treatment, mm-hmm. and most people need social treatment. They don't need medical treatment, right. and most people want to use drugs. Yeah. And, yeah. and to just they to just think... They just want to use them safely and yeah, without exactly. costing them an arm and a leg and having to give up everything else in life exactly. and being criminalized and imprisoned. Those are yeah. all the yeah. things... Yeah. 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 you know, gosh, you know, yeah. rocket science, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But that narrative is not, yeah. is not out there. It's no. really... if. Only we got everybody on methadone, yeah. then our problems would be over. And I guess that's true if people then stopped using other substances, but, but that is just not going to happen. <laughs> yeah. And a methadone, I think that it, the funny thing about methadone is, again, the narrative is somehow that once people are on a stable methadone, then their lives change and their drug uses change. And we know that most people who are on a steady methadone use other drugs. And so... Uh, and with fentanyl, 
um, they can use it easier because it's so potent. So yeah. there's, you can get over the top of the methadone. You can get over the top. Yeah. So yeah. there's mm-hmm. a lot of people that um, don't mind the fentanyl yeah. um, being available because yeah. it is more potent than the heroin they were buying. But um, for the most part, I think we've shown that we can um, make low barrier substitution therapy available. We can get naloxone out there. We can have supervised sites. We're trying to use the um, built on the crosstown model or the heroin prescription model and the hydromorphone that we have um, some programs now that are taking people in for injectable hydromorphone. Um, I'm involved in one of the new programs particularly, and it's uh, it's well, I'm not that surprised actually. You Mm -hmm. cannot medicalize this thing to the extent Mm -hmm. that we want to. The idea that every three times a day people are going to come in at specific times and get a vial of hydromorphone, Mm -hmm. maybe for the first week, and then they start asking, What the hell? I can't do this. (laughs) Yeah, so it's just not a practical solution. The design of those programs is everything, isn't it? It's like absolutely everything. And so um, I'm aware, I know it's very limited in the UK. Uh, even now, but uh, some people on heroin prescription there, for example, once again, very few, but we'd go to, say, a pharmacy and pick up some vials of you know pharmaceutical heroin once a day and take them home and use them across the day. Is that a possibility that a government program might look at something like that, or is that just a step too far at this point? Um, I don't think it's an impossibility. I think the what my understanding is at talking to a lot of people, and we have some in, some evidence from the Salome trial that people yeah. will use hydromorphone um, as opposed to heroin, yeah. um, and the heroin does can you know it's um, the the regulations are much heavier around heroin. The okay. cost is exorbitant so around heroin. So. True. I don't think that's necessary. Yeah. So we can still offer people a safer, low barrier supply of drugs without having to worry about importing heroin. I'm, right. I'm not, you yeah. know, against it. If it was yeah. the same regulations yeah. and the same cost, yeah. maybe yeah. we should push for that. But yeah. the way it stands now, um, the sources, I think, from Switzerland, it's yeah. hugely expensive. And um, I just don't think it's necessary and certainly not scalable in the short term. Got so. you. And so hydromorphone, so um, from what you're hearing from drug users is they feel it's similar you know similar enough to mm-hmm. heroin and how they experience and feel heroin that they're prepared you know it's attractive yeah, yeah. well yeah. The, they did a, a, a salome trial actually did a blinded okay. study and right. people were not okay. able to tell the tell difference, the difference. Okay. now talking to a lot of people involved in the program they do have some irritation about it some people don't like it okay. and that's why um, we're really pushing the uh, pill idea okay. so the currency of a lot of people would to would buy we call them dilated pills yeah. or hydromorphones they come in fours and eights yeah. mm-hmm. and uh, buying a dilly eight on the yeah. street was very popular yeah. sure. and so okay. um, there's, I know there's certainly a, a group of people that would uh, find that highly and useful. And then, then they'd be crushed and <laughs> crushed and injected. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. Okay. and at the pharmacy level, they're 32 cents a pill. Wow. So they're, mm-hmm. as opposed to a vial of uh, yeah. pre-made hydromorphone, depending on the dose, it's between 20 and 30 bucks yeah. a wow. shot. So, so it's like 100 times more expensive yeah, than right. a Dilly 8. Yeah. So... Um, Again, as a scalable scale, program, you have to do this kind yeah, of thing. So, um, yeah. Okay, and so Matt, while we're talking about hydromorphone, um, in your talk the other day, you spoke about these new dispensing machines um, 
that will be secure dispensing machines, is that? Security? Yeah, we'll call them SDMs, okay. I think. Yeah. yeah. So can you talk a little bit about that? It sounds really quite new and, and revolutionary. sort of disruptive, so, yeah. which in a good way. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's a funny, well, it's not a funny story necessarily, but um, so we, I was pretty convinced that we need to have a safe supply of drugs for people, at least options. So I was so frustrated with the, a common scenario that people we knew were using fentanyl at very high risk of overdosing. I had I saw people who had overdosed five or six times already. I mean, they're it, they're just playing Russian roulette. You never knew if they were going to come back. Mm-hmm. It's fine to offer the methadone or suboxone. Many people had tried it before and had come off it, um, and to let them leave the office um, with the idea they're not going to be on substitution therapy but you, you're refusing to give them anything else, basically knowing full well they're going out and, and securing this. And I find that unethical. <laughs> and so we need to, there's no reason in this environment that we couldn't write people a script for dilaudids or whatever we wanted to do. So mm-hmm. um, I know it had to be in some kind of regulated form, but mm-hmm. these are legal drugs. I mean, as a clinician, yeah. I can write the prescription for anybody technically that I want with the message from now from the College of Physicians and things that these are killing people, there's a real scare among physicians, so nobody wants to be prescribing these things anymore, yes. which is a huge, which is yeah. most of the problem. Yeah. But I, we needed to get people into a position where we could give them a safe supply of opiates. And so I wrote a grant to Health Canada um, that we would uh, try to come up with methods that we could do this. Mm-hmm. And so I got the funding. Um, But it became clear from an operational point of view that outside of very controlled environments like a supportive housing unit where they already distribute medications, it would be very difficult to find secure ways that we could actually regulate these things. Mm -hmm. We couldn't send nurses out with backpacks Mm -hmm. full of hydromorphone Mm -hmm. just handing them out on the street kind of thing which actually would solve the overdose <laughs> crisis. I mean, if we just dumped a big truck at load of heroin in the corner and let people just come with a little pail and take it, <laughs> we would not have the overdose problem. So I think, you know, some in some level that would that would work if our objective was to uh, undermine the fentanyl yeah. um, market. But I don't think that would go over that well. So... Um, so to come up with operationally how you'd actually get people access to these pills, I gave a talk um, about um, eight months ago and mentioned that um, we need to uh, really brainstorm about how we get people hydromorphone in a secure, safe way. Um, and we could even use vending machines, is what I said at my end of my talk, which was not a well thought out comment at the end, but I just, anything, you know, we have to really brainstorm how yeah, we do it. So the next day in the paper, the headline was uh, public health doctor wants to give dangerous drugs out by vending machines. And so um, the reporters called my office like crazy, wanted to talk about this crazy idea. And so the, the conversations with the reporters were exactly the same. So doctor, you want to give out these deadly drugs to people? How will we stop children from getting? Well, no, they're not like a... A vending machine where children would use it, they would, we, you know, they'd be very secure and stuff. Well, doctor, would you put them in shopping malls? And no, this is like a. These are programs. We know where people would use them. So, this this conversation went on and on, and I was very. I found it very difficult in a 
three-minute interview to yes. get the message across that mm. I just want a secure way to get people a safe supply of drugs. Mm. But after 20 interviews, I uh, came to the conclusion that the best way to do this would be through vending machines. Like this is like, <laughs> this is brilliant. Yeah, this is the only way we could actually regulate these things through a secure way. Um, that week, a company called me from Canada and said, uh, oh, we hear you need uh, dispensing machines. We, we're developing dispensing machines for cannabis because it's going to become legal. Right. And maybe this would be a solution for you. Yeah. So I got in touch with them, visited them. I've been working with them for six months or more now. And we've modified what they initially had to quite a different looking um, machine now. But it's... Uh, it's a very secure dispensing machine. So we have the prototypes and uh, they're pretty much ready to go. Right. Now these are, uh, they're biometric. So oh, it's uh, it this, this hand vein reader, which is uh, just really is a way to access the machine. It's not like a fingerprint that's recorded right. somewhere, okay. but it's just a way to identify that user. Right. And uh, they're totally programmable. So you could, depending on the individual, uh, they could pick up one, two, three pills at a time in specific timing you, you could spread over spread so they yeah. most people wouldn't be allowed to get like 50 out at a time yeah. it would yeah. all be regulated mm -hmm. there's real-time monitoring of these things so I have a separate dashboard that could be on a computer I could tell you know who got it what time they got it how many they got and mm -hmm. it could be very highly regulated yeah. um, there's a there's a message on there's a screen you could message people um, they could ask questions. Yeah. If you really wanted to, you mm -hmm. could have a video interface yeah. with people if you'd like to do that. Yeah. Presumably you could dispense notes. And you could dispense time. anything yeah. Yeah. So mm -hmm. through these <laughs> things. So, um, and this, and the, so they're totally secure. It's a 800 pound steel box metal. So <laughs> you'd, you could bolt it to the floor. Yeah. I mean, it's really, it's not, it's, going, anywhere. It's not <laughs> going anywhere. So, um, and the beauty of these things, you could put them in different locations. They're all like linked, so you could go, you could use different machines. It would be a harm reduction thing where it's not like the clinical heroin programs where you're titratable up yeah. and that you have to use all your. I don't really care if people get half of their drugs for there. I think that's half as likely they'll be exposed to a deadly drug. I'm hopeful that people would want to use them all the time for all their supply, and that's mm -hmm. what we'd kind of find out. But there would be no punitive action if you missed your dose or something like yeah. that. You yeah, could use them as mm -hmm. you need to use them. Um, and what the biggest beauty, and my, I've had so many conversations with people on methadone and on the heroin programs, it's just getting up in the morning mm -hmm. and knowing you don't have to go hustle for your exactly. drugs. It's a huge yeah. thing. We're yeah, asking people, nice. you know, yeah. connect with services and all this. Yeah. When 24-7, they're trying to get drugs. Exactly. That's their whole life is tied up in this hustle for drugs. And, and the money uh, for the drugs. The yeah, money yeah, for the drugs. The, the crime. Everything's the around the yeah, drugs. Exactly. Um, once they get that's the irony of supervised mm -hmm. injection sites. Mm -hmm. 90% of the damages happen before they get to insight with their drugs. I mean, if the, it's it's a stupid idea. Go and, you know, steal stuff, get in trouble with the law, sell sacks, do everything you need to do, and then come with your drugs and we'll let you sit here and we'll watch you. Well, that's not a big deal. I can go to my house and use my drugs, you know. So it's uh, this idea that 
connecting with people requires this, you know, constant everything we do, we yeah, have to be there for you. Yeah. And uh, no, they just people need some time, yeah. and so yeah. we just need to offload the hassle of getting drugs. And as you say, a safe supply, a safe supply, known quantity, you know, yeah. amount. Yeah, they know people have huge experience of how much dilatas they use and what they so and you could, you know, I don't want to get hung up on this idea it's only hydromorphone. This is a project we want to introduce, but I mean it could be fentanyl. Like if in the right dosage. I mean so it's really just to get the idea we need a a regulated supply of drugs. This is a health and social issue. Why should we be asking you to go to this very uh, dangerous environment mm. every day, all day, trying to hustle drugs? Yeah. And if we can take that away from people, yeah. they have the chance to get connected or exactly. do some work yeah. or exactly. get their yeah. hep C treated. I mean, that's <laughs> exactly. a, all these all these um, sessions I'm at at this meeting about how you get people to get to your program. Well, give them some drugs, because the reason they're not coming to your program is is because they're hustling drugs. That's why. Or they end up in jail, or they, it's like. (laughs) So we've created this super hostile environment Mm -hmm. for people that we've created through our drug policies. And then we're trying to nip away this, you know, if we can make Mm -hmm. this very nice for you to come and just Mm -hmm. take our pills. Well, their life is waking up in a shithole and then, having to hustle drugs all day and that we need to understand if we can take that away from people's reality then they can do tons of stuff <laughs> so. and what's what's the reaction yeah, to this uh, you know, these these are um, non prescribed well, doses is that right? This, so we're working through. Like I guess I'm. My thinking is it needs to be a public health approach, like a flu vaccine campaign. Right. You know, if you qualify, these are the certain things. Mm-hmm. Um, if you qualify for it, you can get these things. Now, um, from a public health approach, we have to really we're working on how we deal with the regulations, which are very tight. So I we're, we can introduce it. For instance, if I'm your, if I'm the doctor. I'm allowed to prescribe these drugs. Mm-hmm. So p- people would have to be assessed by a physician right. to get in the program right now. I think we'll work to lower the barrier. They could be assessed, mm-hmm. as long as f- check off 10 boxes on a questionnaire to qualify. Mm-hmm. And then um, they the drugs would come from the pharmacy, just like the regulations mm-hmm. would say. And instead of the pharmacy giving them out, they come through a machine. Mm-hmm. So there's not a lot mm-hmm. of changes in the regulations. If we really wanted to make it a public health approach, mm-hmm. then there would be a standard um, inclusion form people would get on. Uh, they'd get their biometrics. And then the machine would be loaded through more of a public health approach to things. Mm-hmm. But um, the initial launch will be like a doctor prescription thing but that is the whole thing we want to break down because i don't believe this is a medical problem for most people it's a social problem for people so um so but to change that is going to take a little more time and i want to demonstrate there's a few things that i i totally agree we have to get some initial pilot information on what's a diversion rate of these things and how we can engage people and to hopefully they'll use their own drugs and the dosing thing because there's um there is some concern that we couldn't possibly give enough but i know from Mm -hmm. talking to so many people buying one or two dilly eights on the street corner is what they really want so the idea that they need 20 of these Mm -hmm. things at a time is 
on, I don't think is necessary, but there may be some people yeah. with huge tolerances that this would not be a practical thing. And that's kind them. of one of the issues that comes to mind. So in terms of the checkbox, um, will there be requirements that you have to be able to be known or demonstrate that you are... To you have that some sort of tolerance to you know yep. a first time user i mean yeah so we again i think there could be all kinds of things we'd li like to explore but at the mm. beginning you would uh, the inclusion for the first would you have to have fentanyl in your urine yeah. or something yeah. like that yeah. that um, you you're, you're yeah, and you have to fill out okay. some criteria that you're opioid dependent. Yeah. Mm -hmm. We still need to come up with things that um, address the people who have detoxed in yeah. recovery or coming out of jail. Mm -hmm. They know they're going to use. They're at yeah. high risk exactly. and they yeah. need to have a number they can call and register for this right away. You know, I yeah. mean that because there's a huge group of people out there who are dying. Who wouldn't are not daily users and so um, we need to modify the program to make it but you hear these tragic stories from parents especially my kid just came out of some expensive recovery I know they're gonna use there's nothing I can do and they should have a number that they can call and say look I know I'm gonna use I know I shouldn't be buying fentanyl on the street I'm afraid of that can you get me some drugs? Yeah, and yeah. we should be able to say, yeah, yeah. for now we can get you some drugs. Um, like, I don't, you know, it's, it's not, these, these are not gonna kill you. Mm -hmm. And the other, like, why as physicians, and why, why are we so afraid of giving these yeah. prescriptions? Is people are already dependent person. on them. Mm -hmm. Like, what are we trying to prevent? I'm not yeah. exactly I sure. <laughs> I hear you on that one. This is what well, they I've use. I've so. that for years, yeah. yeah. I mean, so. it's, it's just, um, uh, so wonderful to hear yeah. the sort of the cut through the bullshit and yeah. this is what has to be yeah. done and and at the base of all this is we just cannot accept or tolerate people dying and yeah. everything has when to be done can be prevented yeah, yeah. that's common sense and meets mm. the needs and yeah. you know everything else doesn't matter it's yeah. it's about this and it, that's mm. such a refreshing yeah I make it quite clear I'm not trying to solve addiction <laughs> like, yeah. this is solving that's the, this really is a, not, that's the point uh, of difference yeah. I mean, this is a response to frees you up in yeah. fact to think about other things these people are not, now I think I can make a huge impact on addiction or pe this program sure. could make a huge sure. by the various reasons we yeah. talked about freeing people up yeah asking them yeah. not yeah. putting them in a there's a whole literature that I'm really interested in. I've been reading quite a bit about um, structural violence. So yes. this was oh, a terminology. to the right people. Yeah. <laughs> so this is like yeah. our, the yes, way yeah. our Classic. policies are set mm -hmm. up. This is a Classic definition structural. of structural yeah. violence. Yeah. And we're, we're yeah. trying to work through a system that makes no sense. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, it undermines all our programs. Like mm -hmm. as long as it's criminalized and people are living mm -hmm. in poverty and being chased by police, mm -hmm. all things that we've created, mm -hmm. our programs are bound to be pretty unsuccessful mm -hmm. because we've, we've created a terrible system for people. So it, it is revolutionary thinking in terms of uh, how we approach the whole problem as a mm -hmm. social trauma problem instead of this medicalized mm -hmm. kind of you need a doctor yeah. kind of thing because yeah. I think most people don't need a doctor yeah. they need yeah. to be in an environment that doesn't continually mm -hmm. punish them and make things impossible right so. on <laughs> right on <laughs> <laughs> that's all I can say it's very refreshing to hear you talk about this stuff Mark and it's mm. been a real pleasure to yeah, absolutely. have you on the program again and yes. um, I think people love to listen to it um, yep. I'm not sure if there's any links to anything that we want to put on but we'll 
reflect on that and if mm. there's anything that's been mentioned that we can link to. Um, mm. But we'll certainly stay in touch and keep an eye on yeah, how things develop and love to know. Until next year. I, yeah, it, that's right. It's in Montreal, so I sort of have to go to next year's uh-huh. meeting. So. <laughs> but things will happen. There'll be some updates. And uh, I think the two, the two major things that were... Um, that the government is finally talking about is decrim and a safe supply. Right. And so they're very tied in together. Uh, this is a, together. a regulated supply. Start, right? And yeah. uh, I think these are the only two things that are going to solve it. And if we, mm-hmm. if I can talk to other provinces who are just launching into this yeah. crisis, I think Vancouver has pretty much optimized our harm reduction. I think yeah, this is yeah. this is what we can do. I think we've saved a ton of lives. Sure. So it's really difficult. It's a tight it's a it's a razor sharp discussion not to throw all these harm reduction under the bus too yes. because I think they have been very successful mm-hmm. for some people. Yeah. But, but it's the about numbers a comprehensive range yeah. of options, isn't it? Yeah. For people? And people are still dying at a ridiculous yeah. rate and until we offer them um, an opportunity to get some safer drugs. Yeah. This is we're not going to make any pro- or very little progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, thank you. We might wrap it there. Okay. And okay. Um, yeah, yeah, thanks for your time. It's always so wonderful to talk to you. We'll see you in Montreal. Okay. okay. Thank you very much. Bye. Bye. For more information about this podcast. Our guests and upcoming episodes head to http://csrh.arts.unsw.edu.au.